Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon, they'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandon. The amazing spider-tar, the amazing spider-tar, come swing through the air, sit back and prepare for the Hello, I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdin, and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mischievous Marchinacchio, founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and author of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us for this slightly delayed episode three of the second season of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Mark, we took a little bit of time off because it was the Oscars last weekend and I got super sick, which maybe you can still hear on my voice right now. Yeah, or actually, we're we're just the creative team to Hawkeye, so our next episode is going to be about six months late. <laughs> well, in this second season of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk, we've been taking a look at how Spider-Man hit the big time during the Stan Lee and John Romita Sr. run on the title. And today, Mark, we're going to be talking about Peter's supporting cast and their numerous hangouts at none other than the Coffee Bean but mostly about how Lee and Romita went about emphasizing socialization in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man. What does that mean, Mark? I don't know, Dan. It just sounds like pretty fancy on the page, though. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I think what we're talking about here is, Dan, is, is how, you know, not that obviously Peter being in high school was a key part of the Stan Lee-Steve Ditko run, but... but you know, as part of the Stan Lee John Romita run, it, it, it seems like friendships and, and and relationships became more of a factor uh, in in the comics. Whereas, you know, during Lee and Ditko, it was it was Peter and Aunt May was kind of the primary relationship, and everything else was secondary. So that's what that's what I think we're going to be talking about. I mean, you know, these 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 episodes sometimes have a mind of their own, Dan. So we'll see. Well, we're going to be covering a lot of issues in this run from the the Lee Remedy years, uh, and they can be found in local comic shops if you have the coin, or on Marvel Unlimited, the library, Comicsology, uh, in trades, etc. Uh, basically anywhere where you can find comics. So uh, whether you read these stories a million times or not, we hope you enjoy our episode entitled "The Coffee Bean." So, Mark, last episode, we asked, you know what? I wonder where the coffee bean makes its first appearance, maybe maybe first appearance in name. And then shortly afterwards, we just looked it up and uh, we got an answer. So, Mark, the coffee bean, where does it where does it show up for the first time? Yeah, Google was our friend here, Dan. Uh, no, the, the, the coffee bean by name shows up in Amazing Spider-Man number 59, which uh, Mary Jane Watson fans will know is the her first cover on a comic book. It's her in her little go-go boots and go-go dress doing a little, little number with Spider-Man fighting some thugs behind her. Uh, it's actually, I think it's a great cover. I but, agree. One of my favorites. <laughs> uh, but total, total cheesecake. Um, <laughs> but um, at the same time, um, the way it's alluded to they're like oh we're gonna we're gonna all meet with mj out out of the coffee bean it's kind of inferred that that's the name of the little coffee shop hangout that they've been at in numerous issues prior but they never called it that prior to that so so thus it was named the coffee bean in issue 59 and i guess retconned everything before that as also being the coffee bean so there you go. <laughs> yeah, and the I, more I, you know. <laughs> and why why are we calling this episode the Coffee Bean? I mean, I think you know both of us agreed immediately that's what this needs to be called. We're really not talking about a coffee shop all episode. What are we talking about in relation to that coffee shop? 
Well, I was gonna I was gonna talk about how you get the perfect uh, espresso pull. Personally, I mean, you know, you got you got you got to tamp your beans. The right. No, I, I I think what we're talking about here. I mean, obviously, last episode we spent um, a great length, I e the entire episode talking about the love triangle between Peter, Mary Jane, and Gwen Stacy, um, and certainly. Those are three characters that figured into the coffee bean. But um, I thought we would uh, expand on that a little bit and talk a little bit more about the other key relationships that that came up in the pages of uh, Amazing Spider-Man during the Lee Ramita run. Because, uh, again, like this, this was something that I mean, Peter certainly interacted with other kids um, and adults during the Lee Ditko years. But. You know, the character was was made into such a loner and an outcast in those issues. And as uh, the great Jerry Conway said in our our debut episode in this season, um, you know, one of the big things that Lee and Ramita uh, worked hard to do during their their creative run together was they, they softened the edges of Peter. And one of the ways that they did that was, you know, they tried to capture more genuine and sincere relationships with with Peter and his peers and with a couple of, uh, of adults that also were introduced uh, during this run. And, um, you know, we 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 you know, they, they some of them met at the coffee bean. But, um, you know, it's it's just interesting to see, like what having these relationships, what they ultimately did to the character in the universe, because. Uh, again, something that we kind of alluded to in our, our first episode this season, you know, people clearly Lee, the Lee Dicko years were the most um, influential in terms of the, the universe that it built. But I feel I still feel like thematically um, Lee Ramita are the books that m- most creators that followed kind of mind for how they portrayed these characters and especially with these relationships, you know, like Peter and Harry, Peter and Flash, the, the, the way those dynamics changed uh, in these issues um, kind of became the, 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 the standard, you know, the, sta- the, the, the standard holder going forward in, in Spider-Man comics. So we wanted to just kind of talk about some of those instances and what those changes were and kind of what it did for the book as a whole. And the coffee bean has kind of, you said themes, the coffee bean itself has kind of almost become a thematic representative of, you know, Spider-Man and his relationships. Like any time that anybody is meeting up, they're going to get coffee, you know, it's like a shorthand for this is a character scene, you know, a Peter Parker character scene. Anytime we get a flashback to that time, everybody always manages to work this place in as this sort of like meeting of the minds. And I, uh, which, uh, uh, as a New Yorker, Mark, have you ever placed the location of the coffee bean? I always figured it was the Starbucks location uh, in Astor Place. Oh, that's an interesting one. I mean, yeah, I, I definitely kind of thought it was a Greenwich Village or East Village kind of location. Probably Greenwich Village. East Village was like way too kind of run down and weary at that, you know, in the 60s. But Greenwich Village would have been like a, a hipper, more... I keep I keep thinking beatnik, but it really wasn't. And there's nothing in these comics that's beatnik. <laughs> it almost um, looks like a diner more than yeah, anything else. Yeah, maybe it was like Velsecas or something, or uh, <laughs> get your get your pierogies. But um, yeah, that, that, I like I like that little location that you that you're that you're spinning there. Um, I feel like it's been shown uh, in that lo- exact location in a comic or two, but I'm not a hundred percent certain. Oh man, uh, yeah, I, I would have to. I, I I don't doubt that, but that would have to be. Your, if your eyes pick that up, that's awesome. I, I I have not visualized that to that degree. So you'll have to add that to your walking tour of New York section of there, your book. There you go. But um, I mean, but to your point, Dan, like you said, I mean, like the, 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 the there really are two. I find two locations. Um, that are used to build out Peter's supporting cast. And, and we're essentially going to be touching upon characters from both of them here, even though this episode is called Coffee Bean. One of them is the Coffee Bean, which is more of like for peers and other teenagers. And the other has always been the Daily Bugle. 
And, you know, it's worth noting during the Lee Romita years that there were new characters added to the Bugle cast that kind of built things out and, and kind of were used to leverage the book a certain way. But and, and, and that's kind of held true through all these future iterations of the book. I mean, the coffee bean probably has come and go a little more. I mean, the Bugle has kind of always held firm or some kind of media. Uh, I know it was the front line and DB and all that. But um Harry owned the coffee bean at one point, and then it yeah, got closed it, down. It, it's been all yeah, over the place, right? And the, and the coffee bean does end up on a cover, right? In during the brand new day era, isn't it? During one of those, um, like um, when J- Jonah becomes mayor issues or something, I think. Or yeah, it's right right after Peter comes back from his like time in the macroverse with the Fantastic Four or wherever they were. Yeah, yeah, and I think that might be the. Coffee, Coffee Bean's one and only cover shot in Spider-Man history. You might be right. I, there's got to uh-huh. be a variant out there with it on the cover. Yeah. And it's also worth noting um, in the uh, late 70s that John Ramita Jr.'s first story was a, like a C story in an annual. I think it was annual 12, but it was like like Terror at the Coffee Bean or something like that. It was like a four-pager. <laughs> So, so clearly, um, you know, not not to make the illusion of following his father's footsteps again, but you know, it is interesting that his father birthed the coffee bean into existence, and 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 Jazzy Jun- John Junior's uh, first foray into comics or into Spider-Man comics was a coffee bean story. So there you go. Well, there you go. <laughs> the circle is complete. There you go. Every, everything um, the light touches will be yours. <laughs> Why don't we talk a little bit about some of these characters um, that interacted with Peter here and kind of what the changes were um, from Lee Ditko to Lee Ramita? I mean, is that does that sound sensible to you, Dan? Or um, Sure. And then I guess give a, a brief idea of what happened to them during this run. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think and, – and again, just to repeat, we're not going to really talk so much about Gwen and MJ here. Um, I mean, maybe just kind of how they kind of interact in and out of some of these other characters. But, you know, they got their their time in the sun last episode. So we're really kind of focusing on others here. Um, Looks like we'll never talk about them ever again, Mark. No, you get one episode and that's it. (laughs) I mean, you know, talk. you got to make an impact. I mean, like, you know, like end the Silver Age of comics and stuff like that. Then then maybe you'll get another mention or something. (laughs) Um, but let's, let's start things off with Harry Osborne because, you know, Harry was, I mean, I think Harry's change, I don't know if he's the most drastic cause you could probably make that case also with flash, but, um, Harry really was brought in during Lee Ditko. I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm just over reading things here, but I kind of felt like the Ditko version of, of Harry was kind of like. Ditko really playing up the the objectivism of, um, you know, Peter having to work hard for everything and still not being appreciated for it. And then here's this kid with a silver spoon in his mouth with a with a nutcase dad. But, you know, like is is just kind of rich and privileged and at school and is is kind of seen as being at the center and, 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 and kind of an antagonist to Peter. I mean, it's he doesn't fight with him per se, but like. There's nothing likable about Harry in Ditko, right? I mean, that's not that's even his fair, hair. Uh, well, no. I mean, <laughs> his hair is a his hair is a curse, Dan. It's a curse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, no, he was he was really unlikable. You know, maybe even not unlikable because Peter was also portrayed pretty unlikable in in regards to how he handled them. But Harry was the one kind of mostly stoking the fires of. This guy like seems like a scumbag, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, again, it it, it does play into Ditko's philosophy toward you know that that, that Ayn Rand inspired uh, view of life of you know the takers and the makers, and and you know here's Harry who's who's living off of his father's greatness, so to speak, and 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 he kind of comes across as being entitled to being treated and revered in the same way. Um, and 
you know, one of the first things that Lee and Ramita do when they took over the book, I mean, in that Green Goblin origin story is um, they add a wrinkle of sympathy to Harry. Um, you know, like uh, Norman is obviously at, when he's revealed as the Green Goblin is is seen as being abusive and 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 cruel to Harry and, and, you know, kind of gives you a, a pang of, of, um, emotion for him as a, as a reader, you, you're, you're kind of being felt to feel for him for the first time. Yeah. And, 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 and he even comforts Peter at moments to, as, as the story goes on. Yeah. It's, 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 it's really interesting just going from there and, and, and kind of like, transforms very quickly after that for example i mean it's it's issue 46 so we're talking seven seven issues after ramita came on the book and you know you figure those first two is they're knocking out this green goblin story yeah harry's asking pete to move in with him which is like really kind of crazy because there there was nothing in all of the issues from ditko that preceded this that would have ever insinuated that the two of them would be friends and and harry's the kind of the one that uh vouches for peter in regards to gwen like i don't think that relationship would have ever taken off if harry didn't put in a good word saying this guy's okay yeah yeah and like his 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 like trademark phrase is oh pete's a good egg uh he he, he says frequently and 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 you know he puts he you know kind of vouches for him for gwen but he also gets flash to lay off him because Flash is still kind of, you know, with the puny Parker, he's still stuck in high school. And, um, you know, and at one point, Flash even jokes to Harry, like, oh, what, did Gwen brainwash you? But, I mean, really, it is Harry who seems to be the ringleader here. And Harry has, like, obviously has no reason to suspect that Peter has anything to do with um, anything that's happened to his father. So it's it, it really... It's kind of unearned, and it's 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 one of these things that always is kind of flummoxed me about um, Peter and Harry. In that, like, you know, we we they they've been treated in all the stories that followed, and in many great stories like um, the J.M. Damatius, uh story from the '90s, "The Child Within," that you know. These these two are their best friends. They're best friends. That's like always the phrase. Like during the 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 the, the Harry is on drug issues uh, that come later in the Lee Ramita years. You know, it's this Peter just keeps coming back. I got to stand up for my best friend. But like, it just seems like that title is just bestowed upon them out of nowhere, and and then that's it. It's like it's been bequeathed, and we must move on and, and accept it. Yeah. Uh, um, you don't actually see a build. I mean, you see more of a build with like Peter and Gwen becoming entrenched than Peter and Harry. That might be just true of male friendship in general, though. Like it goes from zero to a hundred overnight, oftentimes. Oh, I don't know about that, Dan. I, I, I you, you had to earn my friendship. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? I, I take it back. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it is kind of funny. So. And again, kind of another sign that that the times had changed is in that uh, issue where where Harry extends the offer to Peter to to become his roommate. You know, Harry initially couches it to him by saying, hey, I got this sweet new pad. Um, You know, my dad got me this sweet new pad is actually what it more is. And rather than being repulsed by it like how peter probably would have been during a dicko issue you know like this rich snotty kid getting getting this big apartment pete's like hey man that's awesome and that's that's great for you man and harry's like I'm, i figured you say that so i'm gonna ask you to move in it's just kind of like oh wow all right <laughs> you know, like everyone's just so cool with everything now <laughs> and harry kind of you know at that point kind of takes like a back seat from like a lot of the larger developments in the story, he doesn't really like he dates around and is Spider-Man's pal, but I can't think of a big story with Harry uh, until much later in this run. He's just kind of like around for a while. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's that spectacular Spider-Man magazine issue number two, one which kind of 
it, it's in continuity and there and it's Harry is bringing them over to Norman's for dinner and it's like he's like it's like a big double date with Peter Gwen and him and MJ and of course Norman goes crazy and becomes the goblin and then eventually goes gets his amnesia back but uh, and that predates the the drug issues so that I guess you could say maybe that's like really the first time where I don't know the friendship kind of really creates a drama in its own way because Peter's like well I can't refuse my best friend's you know, dinner with his dad, even though I know his dad's a lunatic. <laughs> <You know. laughs> oh, that old chestnut. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and I forget, like, I, you know, I got to reread that ep- that issue because I, 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 I'm trying to remember how, like, Harry doesn't realize his dad's the Green Goblin. <laughs> um, like, oh, the Green Goblin's in my dad's house. What's that about? <laughs> I, I haven't read that one in years, so uh, I, it is something I'm looking forward to rereading for this. Yeah, um, but yeah, as as a whole, though, it's it. You're right. I mean, it's it's. I mean, the drug issues are like the first really big Harry Peter story, um, and and that you know we're, we're gonna dedicate an entire episode to that um, just because of how monumental that story is, but. Um, I mean, there's a lot going on there. I mean, not even just between, you know, with the drug use and stuff like that, but with like Harry and MJ and MJ using Harry to get to Peter. And I mean, like some pretty deep stuff from a, from a socialization level that you, you didn't really get in the books uh, prior to that. So, um, But they had earned yeah. it at that point. I mean, they had, yeah. put, they had put in the time to establish these relationships really solidly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but it, it, like I said, it is just funny to just kind of see this snap of the finger in the, in the first part of this run and, and, and they're just friends and, and everyone's fine about it. Like the last holdout, uh, of the social circle is flash. Um, which is that a good segue to talk about flash a little bit here? Let's do it. Let's talk about our good friend, Eugene. Yeah. I mean, this, this, this was quite the turn and yet at the same token, I, I almost feel like because of the history of these two characters, this felt a little more rewarding and earned at the end. Does that make sense to you, Dan? Am I am I overselling Flash's slow burn turn? Sure. I, I, I think it's also really earned because the change doesn't really seem to come, you know, as, a, as something directed at Peter like these others are, where it's like suddenly their attitudes about Peter change. This one is a change that's influenced by Flash just experiencing new things and becoming a new man on his own. Yeah, I, I think that's what it is. I mean, Flash Flash grows as a character a lot in this run. I mean, the 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 you know in the beginning here, you know, Flash is it, it, Flash, Harry, and Gwen are always together in these episodes, in these issues. It's kind of funny how inseparable those three are because. I, I mean, I guess it's just like, you know, like like a Saved by the Bell sitcom. It's it's these are the three main teenage characters in Peter's world, so they must always appear together. Uh, Don't you talk never... to that stranger, Peter? He cannot yeah, get exactly. added to the cast. Exactly. We we only have a budget for so many teenagers in this comic, and and those are your three, uh, with MJ mixed in to like totally throw the balance off, and. Flash, you know, when 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 Harry and Gwen start softening to Peter out of nowhere, um, you know, Flash is kind of initially like, oh, come off it, guys. What are, you know, this guy's a square. What are you doing? And they're 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 kind of batting him down and like, oh, just give him a chance. Just give him a chance. And and, and Flash, I mean, Flash kind of tolerates it. But but you're right. What 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 starts to change for him is is when he um, enlists in the army. Uh, and this is this is a big thing on a number of levels. I mean, not only does it, like you said, like kind of give give it presents an opportunity to to draw Flash in a new light and give him new experiences that might change how he is. But um, also, I mean, this is the Vietnam War was something that obviously is going on in the background here in the '60s when Spider-Man's being written. But outside of uh, you know, I know there's that one Dicko issue might be his very last one 38 where 
there are like protesters and and Dicko has Peter going, what do they want now or something like I mean, it's like <laughs> this very creepy objectivist uh, like retort to student protesters. But really, that was kind of the extent of what the war was in the world of Spider-Man. Like they they did not address it like it was it was, you know, but here flash enlisting. I mean, like this this brought reality into the comics for the first time i think that was important important change not just for for flash but for spider-man right and like i you know marvel comics has been political from day one like nearly all of their original comics were about fighting communism but none of them had engaged i think this directly with a civilian going to war in a way like this uh you could maybe argue tony stark but it, it didn't feel quite as real as this anywhere else, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, and it's still, you know, it's still the 60s. It's still a comic. So they, they, they don't go too heavy handed with it. I mean, like, you know, like it's funny when, when Flash is going away and they have this big going away party and stuff like that. There's never like talk like what if Flash dies? You know what I mean? Like it's just kind yeah. of like, oh, you know, Flash is going away. You know, he's going to he's going to take down the VC by himself or something or, you know, like it's 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 kind of done very tongue in cheek, not tongue in cheek, but like lightly. It's very light. Um, It's uber. It's like uber patriotic and and he's going to be fine. It's all optimism and and happiness about him doing this. Uh, Yeah. Which I'm sure it was for a large number of people who enlisted. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, this was like 66, 67. So the war hadn't gone totally sideways at that point. Um, so I guess I can get away with it a bit more. Um, you know, we didn't have uh, issues, storylines about his Vietnamese girlfriend and them burning their villages down or anything like that. yet. So. It wasn't time for Razorback yet. That would come later. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, but it, it's still like. I I enjoy seeing this element get brought into the comics because, like you said, it it it's bringing a dose of reality. It, it's it's for it's it's better connecting this fantastical world with the real world, but in a way that's not like making you get lost in the real world, um, which can sometimes be a drag. Not just if the real world is bad, but you know, like you, you this is supposed to be escapism, so you don't want to like completely dwell in it, but. It's a reminder that 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 Marvel has always kind of been ahead of the curve, ahead of the competition when it came to um, wanting to reflect what what was like make their characters relatable and and and, and reflect a reality like re, you know like it's 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 a big thing and and I I think it really changed Flash for the better because it it, it kind of softened him and and they did like you got to give Stan and and Ramita credit here. Uh, like here's a, a rather one note character. He's the high school bully and they really flesh him out, make him three. They use this as an opportunity to flesh him out, make him three dimensional. That's impressive I, I, for, for, for sixties comic book writing. I think that's impressive. Yeah. I mean, it, it went beyond the only interesting thing being about him being the ironic twist that he's the head of the Spider-Man fan club. You know, there, there was something beyond just simple irony there, although that fan club would reappear every now and again as again that ironic note about Flash. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think at the end of the day, you know, it's it's funny because Dicko would deride Stan for being too simplistic and for giving into fans too much and things like that. But I feel like with Dicko, a lot of his characters in this universe were they they fulfilled archetypes. You know, like it's it, it's it's. Flash is the is the the dumb jock bully who doesn't realize that he's the president of the of you know of the guy who he actually hates in real life and and that's kind of and it, and it's done to to deride Flash because again that's at the end of the day it ties into Dicko's philosophy of of you know the the ha- you know the takers and the makers and and Flash Flash is like the ultimate fake you know like he, he's just got he's got nothing but entitlement and Lee and Ramita just completely flushed that away. And, and, you know, like, yeah, I guess, I guess it would have been even more interesting if 
Flash was dealing with anxieties and fears of going to war and what if I don't come back or what if something terrible happens to me over there and I do come back <laughs> um, that, you know, would obviously get touched upon even later in Spider-Man comics. But um, without this change, I mean, I don't think Flash is probably even a part of this universe anymore. You know, like I think, it, you know, if he st- remained that one note character, he would have eventually been phased out. Well, even when he does eventually go off to Afghanistan, which we'll talk about, or we, and we have talked about on the show before, that he's still presented in the same light as he is here, which is like, you know, a, a not optimistic, but a faithful actor in terms of what it means to go to war. And, um, you know, I, in a way, I, I'm glad they don't really get too deeply into the complications of what it means for a soldier to go off. It might have been a little more realistic, but in a way it gives Flash a hero moment for a character that desperately needed something to like about him. You know, and, and you know, you just said it. These, these, you know, they, but they often got criticized, Lee and Romita, for making everybody likable. But there's nothing wrong with having empathy and, um, you know, and sympathy for characters within a book. You know, it makes them all the more human to actually have something to like about them. People yeah. are likable. And and it's not like they completely rewrote Flash Flash's characteristics. I mean, he's still cocky, he's still full of himself. He still thinks he's the big man on campus. It's just, you know, by adding this touch of of reality and 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 kind of levity to the to the character, it it, it gives you as the reader a different a different perspective on him and and makes you consider him differently. And I think that's that's important stuff in comic in, in any entertainment. Like you shouldn't you shouldn't hate all your characters except for the main one. That's that's like what's the fun in that? So speaking of kind of like the social political influence on the book, let's talk about. Joe Robbie Robertson and his son Randy Robertson, who kind of became, uh, I guess, mid-level players in this in this story. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because like when you think about like the historic characters um, of of Marvel, especially when it comes to um, race and 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 African American characters, you don't always jump to Joe Robbie Robertson, but you know, it's it, what's interesting, you know, like there's Falcon, there's obviously Black Panther, who um, everyone is well aware of right now. Um, but but Joe is actually considered like a very historic comic book character in that, um, you know, he's not a superhero, um, but he's a black man who's not like kind of treated as like a goofy sidekick or like as a, a comic relief which apparently at the time was how black characters were generally treated in, in these kind of in superhero books. It was like, you know, kind of, you know, very, you know, think of like Song of the South in Disney terms. You know what I mean? Like it was like that was what black characters were a lot in comics. And Joe is this very super serious. He's got a very good job. And, you know, he's the city editor of, of the of the newspaper. Uh, he's, he's clearly very intelligent. He's very well educated. Um, you know, there's, there's nothing different about him, if you will, except for the color of his skin. And they do use that, but like it's, it's, I, I, I always find that they, I thought they used it strategically well during this run. Like it, 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 it's, they don't make a big deal about it until they need to make a big deal about it. Um, but it's not like always being the center of attention. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. And, and, and when they, and when they did choose to do it, it was, uh, I imagine probably pretty progressive for the times. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, but like Joe's, Joe's first appearance here, it's not like, Hey, it's a black guy. <laughs> you know, they yeah. don't say that in this comic. It's just, he's just there and he's the city editor. And there's kind of like a, you know, he he would become more of a fatherly figure, I think, to Peter as time would go on. But I, I, for the most part, um, he was really there as a foil to Jonah, um, first and foremost. I'd say. I mean, he's he's you know, Jonah is railing about Spider Man, and Jonah's especially off the walls during this run. I think. I mean, like he's just. I mean, he's 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 Raimi's 
version of Sam Raimi's version of Jonah in during the Ramita Lee years. Would you agree? Uh, absolutely. I mean, it, it's Amazing Spider-Man Fifty is like Jonah is almost the star of that comic. You, you know, like the and it is straight up Raimi Jonah. I mean, yeah. the movie Spider-Man Two and that comic Amazing Spider-Man Fifty. You know, it might as well be the 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 character inks on the screen. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even I think even outside of um, Spider-Man No More, I mean, like Jonah's just really like supercharged through this entire run. <laughs> uh, you know, like it's 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 basically kind of. I mean, you know, it, it maybe in a way because Jonah's getting softened in his own way by Lee and Ramita. I mean, he's 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 kind of. Like you love to hate him in these issues, where I think really during Lee Dicko you just kind of hated him. Um, but but so bringing in someone like as like astute and 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 proper and kind of with a quiet intensity like Robbie, um, it's a good counterbalance, and I think that's helpful. But then um, the, I think more of the social issues kind of get brought in when when Randy is introduced um, a handful of issues later. I think he. He first pops up during the the beginning of the Stone Tablet saga, which is kind of like one of the first really big, long running storylines um, in Amazing Spider-Man. This kind of thing, the story just kind of kept popping in and out for for months and months. And um, what I liked about this was they they use the generation generational gap between Robbie and his son to kind of point out. Um, what was going on with race relations at the time. I mean, Randy's a student at Empire State, uh, and he he views his father as kind of like an Uncle Tom, like a traitor to the race for like, well, you just work for the man, so don't tell me to calm down, Pop. You know what I mean? It's it's supercharged stuff for the time. And, and not and not handled like the best by a right a white writer at the time, but like at yeah. least he was trying. You know what I mean? Like that that was a strive enough i've always felt even if even if the language is a little on the nose yeah i i agree um you know i mean it, it, it would be it would be decades before marvel really synced up their their black characters with black writers in a way that i felt more had a more authenticity to you know added more authenticity to the characters i mean i'm, th- I'm thinking christopher priest and black panther and that that wasn't until like the 90s uh, yeah. so it's, it's kind of, you know, so yeah, you really had Stan or if you didn't have Stan, you would have like Jerry or Len Wein or Marvel Finn or, you know what I mean? Like it was kind of, kind of Al Milgram. <laughs> it's like the same <laughs> cast of, of, of character, Roy Thomas, uh, doing, doing all these characters during, from the Marvel staple during the sixties and seventies. So it's kind of like, okay. I always felt that when Robbie showed up, it was like a character from another universe just entered the Marvel comics or entered Amazing Spider-Man because he had this whole other set of issues that none of these characters were ever thinking about. You know, like this book was kind of apolitical for a large part, and suddenly here comes this guy that was very politically charged, and our kind of group of white characters are just like, what even is this? You know, like... uh, I, I found it refreshing, but it is kind of shocking when it shows up in the book that suddenly this book is so tied to these kind of ideas and concepts. Yeah, I mean, I always come back. I mean, this is towards the end of their run together. And, and again, you can argue that it's not necessarily high, uh, handled with the utmost grace and tact, but there's that issue. It's the one where Iceman is on the cover. I think it's like 92, mm-hmm. um, where... Um, Jonah is endorsing a, a or is getting asked to for the bugle to endorse a law and order candidate uh, who, you know, is has nothing to do with Richard Nixon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and, you know, eventually, like Nixon, is just kind of uh, Nixon. The the the, uh, the politico is just kind of like, well, what you, what you doing with this with this black guy, this monkey in the room? <laughs> it's like, whoa, oh, oh, my God. What, this is this is like really intense stuff for, for a Spider-Man comic. I mean, um, and then like the 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 politicians up like kidnapping Robbie and <laughs> like Spider-Man. Say, it's like, like, whoa. 
This is crazy. <laughs> and the protesters make a reappearance, and and uh, you're starting to get like college drama appearing. Uh, I mean, it's you you get the idea of the university not just as a school, but as a place for like a social movement. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, I I don't mean to belittle Randy here and and keeping the focus on his dad, but I mean, you know, Randy having a having black peers for Peter and and the coffee bean crew uh, again it's important I, I, it, it's I mean we're in New York City in this comic and it's like these are like the first black kids you see in in the comics it's crazy and and um, you know again the drug issues which you know they're gonna come up again and again throughout this season because of how important they are I mean they 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 again kind of dovetail the racial issue with other social issues when when they bring up the fact like when Harry um, gets take you know goes into rehab for or whatever gets taken ill with 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 his anonymous drugs that he he consumes um, you know there's like this whole exchange between Jonah and Robbie where Jonah wants to bury or Jonah doesn't say anything and Robbie's like you're not burying this story because of harry's dad right and he's like no he's like but what's the story and he's like that that drugs are in every is it are in everybody's problem not just a black people problem you know and it's like (laughs) yeah you know like it's but no i mean like that was like an important important social note to make uh for the time uh yeah it's it's like you said there's there's this this heightened awareness that this new diverse cast was, was was bringing to the table here um and it's just kind of stunning to think that you have this cast of new york city i mean when they all went to high school together and then even when they all went to college together for the first 30 or 40 issues that there were no black kids it's just crazy what do you think about not to get too out of this realm but uh what do you think about randy as a character i don't think we've ever talked about him on the show i've always had a hard time you know figuring him out as a character he's been he always dips in and out here and there, but never for a sustained enough period for me to ever really feel like I've got a real handle on him as a person. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, probably his strongest run of stories probably was like with the Paul Jenkins stories during Peter Parker, Spider-Man in the, um, was it like the late nineties or early aughts? And it was like, it was after Peter Parker, Spider-Man rebooted and they, they, I think they became roommates, right? Peter and Randy were roommates for a while. Yeah, I think they when were. MJ was killed in a plane crash. Uh, <laughs> so um, that old chestnut. Um, that old chestnut. A lot of chestnuts in this episode. <laughs> there you go. Um, but yeah, outside of that run of issues, you're right. It's like no one's really used him. I think enough to to get a real handle on who this character is. I mean. I think he's really, really just kind of there to show the kind of the generational gap. I mean, it's interesting in, you know, and I'm I'm trying to weigh my words carefully here, Dan, because I don't I, I don't want to say say anything that's that seems insensitive. But I feel like when when Robbie was introduced um, to these comics, it's kind of like he's 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 like a safe transition to a more diverse cast because he's he's you know, kind of older and and more astute and, and he doesn't kind of wear his um, his racial differences on his sleeve like I guess some other characters could have, maybe. I don't know. I mean it's kind of again, if you're if if Marvel is trying to toe the line of getting more socially aware and more more racially aware, Robbie's probably a good intro and I feel like Randy is kind of there to as a juxtaposition to that to kind of be like, well, no, I mean, like, it's great that Robbie is this safe black character, but, you know, Randy was kind of there to give voice to the real nitty gritty issues affecting African-Americans in, in the United States and in major cities in the late 60s. You know, it's kind of he he's he's putting more of a of a, of a face and he's char- he's supercharging it a bit more than Randy would have. Than Robbie would have. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I I always have got an implied racial element to Robbie in that his role at the Daily Bugle when he debuted was under J. Jonah Jameson. And and just looking at the characters, 
you had to figure the only reason the paper made it out every day is because Robbie was there to make it happen. And Jonah was just this, like, kind of blowhard figurehead. And, uh, you know, you could you could very much... I always imagined the point was that the only reason Robbie's working underneath Jonah is an implied racial element, is he's the more qualified guy, but, you know, because of the politics of the day and, and, and racial elements, he never quite got that shot until... You know, we entered a more modern era where Jonah got booted out and Robbie was able to finally take over. I definitely think that they are, they're both interesting additions to this cast. I mean, like you said, Robbie more so than Randy. And and obviously, I mean, especially Robbie, I mean, there, there, there would be a big impact here. And, and, and I like I like how a lot of writers, how they evolved Robbie in the years after this, um, you know, so... And he did finally become editor-in-chief over Jonah, right? <laughs> Although Jonah still stayed publisher, which always pissed me off. He's like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I got, I, I'm getting blackmailed here by the Hobgoblin, so I'm going to step down, but I'm still going to be publisher, which is still the most powerful position. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, next up, uh, speaking of positions of power, we've got Captain George Stacy, who joined our cast and crew here, uh, you know, this is another character that has left kind of a, I think it depends on the writer, a, a big shadow on the book. Some people tend to use his kind of death and the legacy of Captain Stacy in an interesting way. And others kind of just straight up ignore him. You know, I think it was probably overshadowed by the death of his daughter. Um, and, and the most interesting thing about Captain Stacy, I think, really kind of was his death story and the reveal that was associated with it. Yeah, I mean, you know, unless unless you're the Mark Webb series of movies, and then all of a sudden Captain Stacy's death is the most important thing that ever happened to Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Um, if this is overly glib, I apologize, but I, I, I basically view Captain Stacy as kind of like Uncle Ben 2.0. It's like, this is like Stan's, Stan's chance to write Uncle Ben as if he lived, but kind of at an arm's length from Peter. Yeah, and there's like a there's like a Does like that makes sense to you? Yeah. And there's like a light danger element to him because he has, you know, because of the police force. But in a way, he also is kind of a tension release as well, because he could, you know, intentionally throw off the police if he wanted to. Right. But I mean the the first thing I want to point out about this character though, Dan, is um why why do all of these teenagers in in spider-man have such elderly like father figures <laughs> <laughs> and mother figures i guess i mean like how old is captain stacy and i mean it was 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 he 50 when gwen was born like what the hell i mean like, it's a, it's a solid point yeah you know, like like it just seems like this character is supposed to like even though he's this kind of well respected and venerable police captain um you know they kind of counter it with like he's not a frail old man but he's just a sweet old man is i think are the words that get used a lot i'm like you know it sounds like you're describing your grandfather not your father you know like it's just very bizarre to me but um it's not what you think when you think police captain you know you, you imagine a guy who's like at the height of his career like a bit younger captain stacy's like yeah, especially based on the interior decorations of his apartment, he's an old dude. Like he's in retirement era. Yeah, he's like I was in World War One. <laughs> <laughs> I fought Otto von Bismarck. <laughs> there you go. Um, but, um, he, but he's totally, like I said, total father figure. To I mean. Obviously, he's literally Gwen's father, but he 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 is used as this father figure to Peter. Like you said, there's this kind of this danger element of of you know Stacy's more straightforward law and order versus Spider-Man's vigilante justice. But um, there's also kind of like this under un, like subplot going on of of Captain Stacy being fascinated by Spider-Man and like he he's drawn to Spider-Man and thus is kind of 
you know, it's implied that he's kind of working to figure out who is Spider-Man. Uh, and and he knows that Peter is connected to Spider-Man, which adds like even more danger to it. Uh, and I, I don't know. I like to think not to play too much what if here, but I like to think like if, if Uncle Ben was around, like Uncle Ben would probably deduce these things the way Captain Stacy did, because Uncle Ben certainly how he was written post Amazing Fantasy 15 always kind of seemed to be the sharpest tool uh, in the whole shed. And, and it seems like we're, we're getting that same vibe from Captain Stacy. He's very sharp. He's very uh, in, uh, intelligent. Uh, he's able to um, deduce a lot. Um, and um, he's someone that Peter really respects and admires uh, the way he admired his Uncle Ben. Are you trying to say that not only did Uncle Ben have a rose garden, really like the Dodgers, and have a million other hobbies, he was also an amateur detective? I think I'd like to think Uncle Ben could do whatever he set his mind to. (laughs) So do the writers of various Spider-Man stories over the past 50 years. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, what did you think about the character of... Captain Stacy, because he, he kind of oscillated back and forth between two kind of distinct characterizations. You know, maybe even just as often as the book needed, he would, like, be this hard cop that would find his way into, you know, uh, you know busting up a crime, you know, ring or gang, gang territory, or at the same time doing that and then getting kidnapped by those people. <laughs> it is true, like, how for again, a respected police captain, like how many times he kind of just screwed the pooch and got himself kidnapped. Um, <laughs> like, like, like he, he, he played the damsel in distress quite well for, for someone who you would think like if like the captain of the NYPD was, was, was caught, like, you know, the, you would have had the freaking SWAT team out after him. Uh, <laughs> you know, like this is war. <laughs> Kingpin ain't, surpri- ain't surviving this one. <laughs> He'd always just wander in on his own too. It was like, don't you want to bring back up Captain Stacy? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You're an old man. <laughs> yeah. But you know, Anyway, um, no, but you're right. It's it, it it's again. It's it's. I think that at the end of the day, they they wanted someone kind of old and fatherly for Peter because for whatever reason, Stanley just had it in his head that all of these paternal or maternal characters had to be, you know, one one bad fall away from falling and not getting up uh and um i think that kind of muddied captain stacy's ultimate characterization because i think i think if they did kind of stay truer to like what the mark webb movies did with dennis leary i mean it it would have created an entirely different dynamic i mean um you know whereas in the movies captain stacy is telling spider-man slash peter to stay the hell away from his daughter um here in these issues it's 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 the opposite i mean like you know gwen is like throwing herself at peter in front of her father and even peter is like hey that's awkward and <laughs> the captain says he's like no last side give her a kiss for me it's like whoa that's weird too <laughs> <laughs> i always thought that ultimate would play with the Captain Stacy a bit longer than they did. He gets killed mm. off relatively quickly, but I think, you know, Bendis wanted to move Gwen into Peter's house and, and play with that complication a little bit more. But I always thought, Oh, that was a missed opportunity to get to know a Captain Stacy character a little bit better. Yeah, definitely. Although I would definitely say that the, the ultimate version of the character was more in line with what Mark Webb ended up doing with. Him, yeah, right? yeah. 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 That, that, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so obviously, you know, and then of course, Captain Stacy's death is one of those watershed moments that you talk, that you mentioned. Um, although it's watershed for some, maybe for others, it kind of gets overshadowed. Um, but, um, and we'll, we'll talk at greater length about this, this issue, um, at a later date this season. But, um, you know, this was because again of that kind of paternal element to the character i mean it was it was for the time certainly a huge huge loss to the book um 
emotional moment, I guess. In terms of other paternal characters, of course, you've got Aunt May. Do you think that she was changed at all during this run? I mean, I guess she certainly isn't in death's path quite as frequently. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Peter Peter moves out with Harry, and, and you know, initially May is having issues again, and you know, you're kind of like wondering if that's what what this book is going to settle into. And then, of course, she takes Doc Ock in as a boarder. Uh, just, just, just to add even more fun to this whole thing. Um, but that was before that they would eventually get married. <laughs> that old chestnut. <laughs> like you do. Yeah. Um, but, uh, sorry, sorry, Jerry. I don't, I'm not trying to make fun of your, your stories from the seventies, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I guess, I guess you could say that they kind of, they, I, I felt that they started to move Aunt May away from being such a total, albatross for peter i mean it was like that was you know and with good reason i mean during the dicko years i mean may was there as the main source of drama because it was you know peter's choice to not stop the burglar that led to uncle ben which led to Aunt may being on her own which led to peter just feeling this irreversible guilt and he's that guilt is still there but because we have during this Lee Ramita runs so many more characters and so much more going on and like this this supporting cast really is taking on a life of its own during these issues I feel like Aunt May and her just again being one issue away from dying off and ruining everything for Peter it's just not as it's just not as bad it's not it's not the source of drama anymore um this this other drama that can be mined from these other characters and aunt may kind of takes on her role that she kind of has today which is i'm gonna go check in on her every now and again or go bring her a pie or go meet this girl she wants to introduce me to or you know any of those kind of you know aunt may's in her own universe and i'll check in every now and again yeah or, or or the inverse which is like you know if if peter is in a bad situation and may is like trying to check in with him and can't reach him. It's like, you know, that's, that's your drama. You know, it's, it, you, you didn't really get that as much, um, during the early part of Spider-Man, but certainly, um, you know, whether Peter was getting his brainwashed by Doc Ock or getting kidnapped by Mysterio and put in a miniaturized fun park or whatever, you know, there would be like, well, that may trying to call. I can't reach him. Where is he? He's I hope he's not dead somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get him a cell phone. Oh, wait. Oh, right. Just just about 40 years too early. <laughs> so, um, you know, all these characters coming into Peter's life really changed the way these books are written. Uh, you know, we've talked a little bit about it, but like I think ultimately this is why people remember this run so fondly is this element like this kind of fundamental change to the storytelling yeah i think so i mean it 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 just created a new entirely new set of paths to tell stories and and to create drama for peter and for spider-man by having um not just more characters but more well-rounded characters i mean really at the end of the day you had in in the lee dicto you had peter and then of course you had you know betty brant and Aunt May and Betty Brant, who's just completely written out of these books during like, like, you know, we talked about this in the Love Triangle episode. Like, you know, there is this like this discernible like that's a dick go girl. She's done. <laughs> um, but, Same with Liz Allen for the most part. Yeah, for the most part. Um, but yeah, by, by having all of these fleshed out characters, um, there's just more you can do. I mean. You know, I remember talking to Tom DeFalco when I was putting stuff together for my book. And, you know, I was asking him a little bit about how he would write the supporting cast. Because I, I, I always felt like him and like Roger Stern, I mean, they really more so than a lot of other writers that kind of followed the the early years of Spider-Man. They really grasped how to use their supporting cast well. And DeFalco was like, you know, like you're you're. In comics, your your main character is only as good as the supporting cast. You know, like you you want these characters to have their own lives and you know their own stories to tell. It just gives you more op- more options to tell 
interesting stories involving your your main character and and i think that's by by opening all these doors here during the Lee Remedy years, I think that's that's what they allowed themselves to do. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can you could tell a, a racial story involving Robbie and Randy now that you had these characters, or you could tell a story about Peter losing a paternal figure again when Captain Stacy died, or you can have a, a love story with Peter and MJ, or Peter and Gwen, um, or a story about you know friendship and 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 defending defending the honor of your friend like the like the drug stories i mean like these these all play i mean a lot of these great stories that we come back to um from from these years uh, they're only great because of the dynamics with the supporting cast well awesome uh i don't know <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what else to say you're right uh, like and like i said it's why i love these books is you know each character brought its own unique wrinkle to it. I think some more than others, as we've discussed today. But uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and and it's it's a shame, you know. We often criticize some writers that don't take advantage of the supporting cast. You know, there have been long runs in this book where it feels like those characters don't exist. You know, and I think it's the books that really lean into this that that end up being some of the most successful tales in, in Spider-Man, ones that we remember, enough that even some of these characters could take on their own books and not have Spider-Man in them at all. I think about, like, the Flash Thompson story, you know, from Brand New Day. Like, what other comic series could do... You know, I could think of maybe a handful of characters that might be able to take over the main series and just run for an issue. Like, maybe Foggy Nelson could do it. Uh, you know, but I, I can't think of other supporting cast characters as strong. And here's a whole slew of them. Yeah, absolutely. Or Ben Urich. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, you're right. How, how dare I forget about Ben Urich? Come on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Your favorite. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, well, I'm glad I'm glad that we kind of touched upon these other characters in this fashion, because, again, it's they're 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 important important parts of this universe that I think get glossed over a little, a little bit too often by, by, by modern fans. So, um, remember, remember your roots. Uh, (laughs) to to that point, we almost didn't do this episode, right? It wasn't on our original list and, and, and it just, Oh, like we have to do this episode, you know, this, this is something we have to do. Absolutely. Um, but like eating your vegetables, sometimes they taste good. So, (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us for our third episode of our second season of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. Uh, Mark, our next episode is going to be out in about two weeks. What's that show going to be all about? Well, uh, Dan, this next one is going to be called Ramita's Rogues. Uh, We did, uh, of course, uh, uh, the bad guys episode in season one. Well, this is, I guess, the, the, the Ramita Eyes sequel to it. Uh, where we'll be talking about all of Ramita's uh, big villains and I guess some not so big villains, but maybe they wanted them to be big villains at the time. Um, I guess I guess there were a few more um, a few more looters than uh, than Doc Ox during the uh, Ramita run, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah you're, you're not kidding. I'm thinking about like uh, the kangaroo and all these guys. Yeah, but. Um, but we'll, we'll but there are a couple of A-listers in there too, and we'll we'll hit upon we'll hit upon the the A's, the B's, and everything below the B's. <laughs> yeah, don't don't let me forget them. Um, absolutely, and then um, also for our Patreon subscribers, be sure to check out our Patreon page and your podcast feed for a special review of Amazing Spider-Man number seven ninety seven, uh, as well as a quick little roundup on the new uh, creative team that's been announced for Amazing Spider-Man the. Uh, Nick Spencer, Ryan Otley pairing. Um, you know, remember everybody for three dollars and ninety nine cents a month, the price of a new comic, you'll get access to our exclusive new issue reviews, uh, some swarm B book stuff, uh, extended interviews and outtakes from those mailbags and all of that great stuff. And then of course for ten dollars or more a month, you'll get access to some awesome commissioned artwork. Dan, we 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 have the 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 fruits of our labor for that finally being shown, right? Yeah, we got that Ron Friends artwork being shipped out this week to all of our Patreon Patreon subscribers. And man, I, I couldn't be more pleased with how that artwork turned out. Mark, what'd you think about it? 
it's absolutely gorgeous. And Ron is just a, a superhero of his own kind for doing that. Uh, I, I, you know, I mean, we commissioned him, but still, I mean, talk about going above and beyond. Uh, Ron, Ron is a is a is a total total gem of this industry. I'd say. I agree. I agree. Hey, and you know what? Uh, speaking of jumping on board, I wanted to also give uh, a, another shout out to a couple of our other, you know, related products, I guess, if you would. Um, <laughs> now, I can't take credit for this one, but I, I, again, if you're not listening to the Ultimate Spin, I can't recommend enough that you check out that podcast all about Miles Morales and Spider Gwen, and also the brand new podcast, part of our podcasting network is the untold talks of Spider-Man all about the books that Mark and I are likely never going to talk about on this show. Uh, I mean, unless really under threat to talk about them. These are the lost gems that like just don't come up in conversation. They're starting off by talking about Soul of the Hunter. Mark, how familiar with Soul of the Hunter are you? I might have read it once. That's like Craven's back from the dead to like haunt people right isn't that the is that is that that story or am i confusing that with something else that's it it's um it's the sequel to craven's last hunt and um you know jmd he uh you know got a lot of criticism about the suicide angle of craven's last hunt so this is his kind of like uh like rejoinder to that or whatever it's his answer to all the complaints about the suicide so, um, an interesting story to look at in terms of Spider-Man lore, uh, for sure. I was going to say, it's definitely the Grease 2 of uh, comic book sequels. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's a great, great comparison. And then, uh, also, I wanted to give another shout-out to the amazing Spider Slack, our kind of, like, discussion app service where you can kind of join up with all of our listeners and and have conversations about everything spider-man whether it's your own personal collection or uh the new podcasts or new comics that we're putting out uh that's a really fun place to be and there's a link in the show notes so click on that link sign up and join us i'd love to get to know you a little bit better awesome uh damn where else uh can people get to know you uh in the worldwide of social media and stuff yeah, well, as if those asks weren't enough, you can go on Twitter and follow me at, at SupSpiderTalk for my Spider-Man account. If you want to follow what I'm doing as Dan Gavazdan, the non-Spider-Man-obsessed guy, you can check out my Twitter account, at Dan Gavazdan, where I often talk about movies and things like that. It's still a lot of nerd nerdy stuff, but uh, not, not Spider-Man nerdy, if you, if you will. Mark, what about you? Where can we find you on the internet this week? As if there's levels of nerddom, Dan. Uh, <laughs> well, you you can of course find me on Twitter at chasingasmblog. You can find uh, my reviews of new Spider-Man comics on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com, and of course you can order my book One Hundred Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die from Triumph Books, uh, wherever books are sold. Mark, if I were to peel back the pages of your book. I'm sure the first thing that I would read in that book is Uncle Ben's famous motto. Do you want to just read from your book right now, Mark? Yeah, sure. Hold on. Let me let me uh, put on my spectacles, push them up real good, flip it open. With great podcasts must also come the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. <laughs>